Like I said before, Al and I have seen the damage firsthand when we went to go help clean up, and it was crazy. You saw one side of the levee that didn't break. You saw a normal Sunday afternoon, dads mowing the lawn, kids playing. The other side, you just saw houses that had flowed down the street and crashed into other ones. Really wild, really wild. So we should be praying for them. Make sure you, I mean, right now it's supposed to be happening. Um, they are, they're gonna experience it right now over the next several hours as it winds its way up to um, the East Coast. Well, today we are going to enter into a new section of Isaiah. We are leaving chapters 1 through 37. We're going into 38 through 55, which shows us pictures of Jesus as he came in the first advent and his time as a servant. Uh, we're winding down the involvement of the earthly kings of Judah in this book. In fact, um, I did the research, I read all the rest from 40 on, so I don't believe we, we hear or read of another earthly king of Judah in Isaiah. And one of, one of the key lessons we learned from this first section, 1 through 37, is the main key to community-wide restoration begins with the individual. So what I mean by that, when you devote yourself, when you devote yourself to learn about God, you learn about this extreme honor that is due Him. When you understand the honor due Him, you obey Him at all costs. And it's amazing when you obey Him at all costs, how your relations with others who are on the same path improve. And we also saw how Isaiah dealt and approached the unfaithfulness in this first section. Um, he faced a lot of political errors of the day, and he did it with the vision of the coming king. And I think I know we would benefit in our own lives if we saw the issues that took place of the immediate, instead of eternalizing them, um, we actually stopped and looked internally, eternally to the coming king and evaluated, evaluated our immediate problems in the light of his presence. And back in Isaiah 8, 11 through 13, it says, for the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, and do not be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy, let him be your fear, let him be your dread. And again, verse 13 said, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Wise words still in effect for today. So today, with that in mind, we're going to look at King Hezekiah and how he handled life-threatening news. The second section, we're opening up at 38 and 39. Next week, we're going to look at Hezekiah's illness, and then we're going to look at a visit from his good friends. My tongue is in my cheek as I say that. His good friends from Babylon. So let's look at chapter 38. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him, and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, and he said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart 
and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial by ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say then? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I will walk slowly all, the ye all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O oh Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the spirit of my life. O oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. You have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living the living he thinks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to his children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for this time that we can come in and just pour into this book and see you, see you in your role as Savior, Savior to a people, Savior to a people you have called. Father, may we learn and just be reminded of your great love so much so that you saved us from this pit you put our feet on solid ground and we are to learn about you grow in you and sing your praises all of our days on this earth amen so this morning we're going to look at 38 in the following in the following sections of verses we're going to look at hezekiah his illness in verses 1 through 8, we're going to sing the song he sings of death and life in 9 through 20. And then we're going to look at his healing verses in 21 and 22. So in verse 1 it says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not recover. Just what you want to hear on a Monday morning, right? 
So in those days kind of shows us that um, this is probably an excerpt from a longer document, probably like something in 2 Kings 20 or 2 Chronicles 32. And then a sad note, because I've really enjoyed this part. Like I said, we are no longer going to talk about the earthly kings after next week. So we lose our reference material that we learn about these kings and what's going on in 2 Kings and Chronicles. 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. All that goes away. And they've been great to use that so far. So what we know, Hezekiah has been told he's going to die. In real life, after the 15 years, he died in about 687 B.C. So adding the 15 years to that, we see that he was told that um, he would be dead in about 702. And, and that makes sense, since we're going to see in the next chapter the Babylonians under Merodach Baladon, you know, this envoy came to him and, and we're possibly seeing to seek an alliance or worse, be defeated. And we know that Merodach Baladon only served for nine months, nine months. And he came on in 703 and sometime in 702 after he took the throne, Sennacherib removed him from it. And from that great spiritual reference book, Britannica.com, I got this information. It said, the next year, Sargon captured and destroyed Merodach Baladon's capital, dur Yakin. Sometime after the death, 705 of Sargon, Merodach Baladon had sent an embassy to Hezekiah of Judah in an attempt to foment or elicit unrest against this new Assyrian monarch Sennacherib. And in 703, Merodach Baladon again seized the Babylonian throne. But we know in 702 that Sennacherib defeated them and took it on himself. So then we come to the words, set your house in order. Where do we see this before? We see it in 2 Samuel 17.23. 2 Samuel 17.23. That was when Elithophel, it's easy to say if you have a lisp, he was one of King David's most trusted advisors. Trusted advisors. But when his son Absalom revolted against David, Elithophel went with the son. So when David prevailed with God's help, Elithophel went home. We see he sent his house in order and then took his own life. So now Hezekiah is told this. There's just one problem. To get his house in order, he needs an heir. And right now, right now we know he doesn't have one. And then you're saying, how do you know this? Well, in 2 Chronicles 33, we see the evil king Manasseh, Hezekiah's heir, took over as king when he was 12. So that means when Hezekiah was told to get his house in order, this evil king Manasseh was negative three years old. So we see Hezekiah had no heir. And God knew what he was doing here. Hezekiah was more like his father David than his father Ahaz. So he knew he would receive this news and seek God. And how does he seek it? Let's look. Verse 2 says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and I have done good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So he was, he was presented the worst news that you can get, right? What was his reaction? What was his reaction? He turned away from the world. He turned away from all that, faced a wall, and spoke to God. Sought him, had a conversation with him and pleaded for his life. 
And that's, that's different how we do it today, right? So when we hear news like that, what's the first thing a lot of us do? We go through our contacts list, right? And start shedding our burdens on people, talking about what's going on. And sometimes we may get so wrapped in that that we forget to talk to God about it till later. So that's a key example for us to learn right there. And these verses are here, they're here for a reason. They're just not part of Hezekiah's biography. What we're seeing here is an example for believers in our day even to follow, to copy. Just like in the New Testament, when we see how Jesus interacts with his Father, getting up early in the morning, spending that time in communion with him, praying to him and talking to him, it's the same thing there. So understanding the importance of these and not just skipping over the nine seconds it takes to read these verses, and I read slowly, it's nine seconds, meant the world to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was broken, and he was sharing his life with God. The good, the bad, the ugly, the exaggerated, but it still, it was from his heart. And Hezekiah, he did what most of us would do, right, in this situation. You think about it, he's trying to bargain with God. He is um, trying to mention how he walked steadfastly his whole life before God. And we see what, what God saw. We will see what God saw. God did not, like, hear Hezekiah's story and go, oh, I forgot about that. You're right. I should heal you. No. God knew exactly what Hezekiah was, and he saw that this king was honestly broken, even though he may not have been 100% truthful with his memory, but he was broken to tears and seeking God. So, while we know Hezekiah wasn't perfect, there's nothing that we saw over and over in his failures of true belief. He, he may have given lip service in his trust to, to God all the while. He was seeking, at times, a worldly alliance, although he believed in God, knew God. When the rubber was meeting the road, he was talking to Egypt, making an alliance, and soon entertaining an alliance with Babylon. But what we need to see here is nothing Hezekiah was going to say was going to spare him. It was indeed God seeing a broken and humble man seeking him in this situation. So he, like us, at this time, needed a Savior. And it's perfect timing that we go over this because there's more to follow on this perfect Savior over the next 17 chapters. Verses 4 through 8. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go, say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayers, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add... 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz. Turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial, ten steps by which it had declined. Here we see God's word and a sign concerning Hezekiah. You know, Second Kings gives us a better example of how fast this really happened. So in Second Kings 20, 4 and 5, it says, Now, listen, before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, 
thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you, and on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. We see God here was not slow to answer. Isaiah was quickly told to turn back and tell Hezekiah the good news. You know, I was thinking about this. I, I wish more and more of the times that I had prayed to God, I would get quick answers like this. I can think back of being a child. It was like, you get that nasty vegetable for dinner, and you're going, you know, Lord, can you not only take this off my plate, but take it out of the world and, and get none of it? But I never got that quick answer. The only thing I got was a father with a 44-inch waist that you heard every belt loop as he quickly took that belt out. And uh, as he stood there telling you, basically reminding you, do not call anything God created bad, even though I highly disagreed. So getting this quick answer to prayer was awesome for Hezekiah. I think in my life I just need to pray for the right things. So God tells Hezekiah this answer is not coming from your human faithfulness, but from the faithfulness of the God of your father, David. You see, God made a promise to David that he would always have an heir on the throne, even though David may not have realized the throne God was talking about. He would have that. So God's promises are incapable of failing us. And there is, there is nothing we do to aid God in, in that situation. God functions alone by the power of his word. And how do we know? Because like we mentioned earlier, of all the cities in the world, Jerusalem has never moved. It's grown, it's expanded, but it's never moved. And I'll give you a sign that God gave, it will never move. It will always be there. God will defend his city. So in verse 7, God gives Hezekiah a sign that his word will come true. Now Hezekiah's father Ahaz had made this upper room up on top where it was probably cooler. And the stairway that went up there was smartly built to also serve like a sundial. And it recorded the movement of the sun by using the stairs. And this is where God's performing his miracle to confirm his word to Hezekiah. So Ahaz, the father, was offered a sign to be shown to God that confirmed God's willingness to protect that city and that people, and he was unwilling. So here Hezekiah was willing, and he saw that he was going to have his 15 years added to his life, provide Hezekiah with the air, and keep that earthly line moving towards Jesus. Hezekiah could have acted like his father and rejected the sign, but Hezekiah, as he said, had sought God most of his life, and we see when it, when it came down to it, he turned, faced the wall, and sought God. Now as we move into 9 through 20, we're going to see Hezekiah sings of death and life. Now what we see in this passage, what we see in this passage, it's really cool because, like I said, we're, talking, we're going through these next 17 chapters. We're seeing Jesus as Savior, as servant. So what we see here is we see salvation. Let me give you some highlights now that you can pick up as we go through this. So we see in verse 13, Hezekiah understands the peril that he is in and that he would die under divine wrath. He was gonna die. And today we would say what happened is the Holy Spirit changed his heart and he sees that he is doomed without Christ. Verse 17, Hezekiah shares that he has no, ha no hope, no hope as he is under the wrath of sin. So we would say 
He is separated from God because of sin and needs a way back to God. Verse 14, he says he is rescued, rescued by prayer, rescued by prayer. And 15 shows that he received a divine response now. Salvation. God alone is responsible. And then in verse 20, he is saved and he's going to go play his guitar and sing praise to God every day, either in the temple or in heaven or both. He says, the house of the Lord. So let's look at this song at Hezekiah. The title of the psalm of Hezekiah is actually When He Was Sick and Recovered from His Sickness. So what I got out of this, I know one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 40. But when you read this, you can see a lot of similarities to Hezekiah's father, David, writing this psalm. Psalm 40 I love, like I've told you before, it's one of those psalms that when you see David in heaven, you're going to have to, have to ask him, how did it end? What happened? So let's look at this. The gates of Sheol, 9 through 11. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he'd been sick and recovered from his sickness. I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look no man, I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. This is a song, the song is a testament to what happened and Hezekiah was fully aware, fully aware of the peril he was in and the salvation he received from God. In verse 10, he's basically saying, I am going out in the middle of my life. I'm being taken down and I have sorrow. Basically because life on earth was told to him it would be soon over and he was told, you know, get your house in order, you're going out. And he didn't seem to be aware of the future that awaited for him being gone. So like in 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10 tells us, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, that being Paul, but share the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And here's the good part. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. And this is what Hezekiah wasn't remembering, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Hezekiah didn't understand that there was a better life waiting for him when he was told to get his house in order. He figured being king in Jerusalem was, the, was one of the best things you can get. And he said in verse 11 that I am sad because he will no longer have contact with God and man on this earth. He knows he'll still be alive, but not in this world. You know, boy, boy he, like I said, he didn't realize how much better it was going to be and how much greater life in heaven is. Now as we go on to 12 through 14, there's four things you're going to hear, and I'll give you the, the notes on them and what they mean so you can hear them as we go into this. 12 through 14, the first thing is tent. You're going to hear tent. That means the fragility of life. Weaver means life's decisive end. When you see lion, lion means divine hostility. The swallow, the crane, and the dove are pictures here of the seemingly 
feebleness of prayer. And it says, Moan of a dove, I promise you, there's no jokes related to Prince and dove crying, doves crying. I, I promise you up front. I know my wife's relieved. With those in mind, let's go over 12 through 14 again. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom from day to night, and you bring me to an end. I call myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge a safety. And we all know, except if you're Elijah, death is undefeated and will cause us all one day to move on in our life, right? So they would un understand, talking about a tent being plucked up, this people, this culture, fully understood that fully understood what it mean to, you know, the picture of pulling up a tank st a tent stakes and packing it in, being done. And then, like a weaver, we, as individuals, you know, weave the pattern of our life. Whether we're obedient or not, it's when we're done with that pattern, it's removed from the weaver's loon and rolled up and it moves with us. Now, I don't know how many of you, especially you younger ones, have ever seen a loom in action, but I remember it quite vividly. I had a grandmother that didn't play fair. So I was in elementary school, if you can imagine this. I was talking to my kids last night about the 60s. So I would walk home from school, half mile, no parents around, neighborhood full of kids, and my grandmother in the 70s, who lived behind us, was supposed to get me to take a nap. I was like, yeah, this is gonna go well. It's like, I ain't doing that. Except like I said, she didn't play fair. So as I would be close to rounding the corner to my street, there it was. The smell of freshly baked bread. She was dirty. So I would go like a mouse seeking a piece of cheese on a trap in to go get that bread without fail. And after a couple big pieces of bread with butter on it, she would just say, hey, why don't you hang out with me for a while? I'd be on the couch. I would fall asleep to the sound of her working on this loom. And the stuff she would make would be incredible. So, like I said, my grandmother did not play fair. She never had to chase me, though. She just made that bread, something she had been doing for 60 years of her life. So it was incredible. So the picture of a weaver, like I said, it, we're responsible for the pattern that we make on it. Um, we do not know when that thread's used up, when God's going to cut that thread off, and then we roll it up because we are done. The end of the life is determined by God alone. Verse 13 shows us that Hezekiah says, he composed himself. He made it through another time, and now he settled himself down for the time to head. Psalm 31, 131, 2. Psalm 131:2 says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And Hezekiah sees no end to this divine hostility that God has. God is as hostile to him as a lion. Hezekiah understands that he is dying, and he seems to understand he has sin in his life, and he feels 
that hostility between him and God and him as a sinner. He does not want to die under this wrath of God. In verse 14, Hezekiah is telling us, you know what? I ain't stopping. I am talking to God like that annoying bird you hear outside your window. I am talking to God. I am letting him know that, that everything I'm feeling right now, I am full communication. And he has it right. He is communicating in the song that he is in trouble. He is in serious trouble and he needs God, the sovereign God of the universe, to make his need his own and also to pledge the safety. So he wants God to feel the pain he's in and to take it upon himself to bail him out of this trouble. And then that quickly, we see this divine restoration. Hezekiah sings the following in verses 15 through 7. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all of my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. 15 takes us for this, from this bitter prayer to immediate answer. He went from this moaning dove facing death from a hostile God to seeing his prayer prevail. Hezekiah comes out and states that he will now walk slowly, or a better word that we understand here is he would walk humbly and watch his step. It also gives us this impression, impression of him walking in a procession and walking thoughtfully in this procession, being careful to give great honor to God. Psalm 42.2, Psalm 42.2, it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and song of praise and a multitude keeping festive. In 16, Hezekiah is imploring us, imploring us to, hey, see what happened to me and how merciful God was and that above all else we need to look to this story and see the extreme importance of obeying God and serving Him in all the ways mentioned. Knowing, honoring, obeying based on that knowledge, and seeking above all else to honor God. And then Hezekiah repeats the heart of his praise to God. You restored my health and you let me live. He sees God in this moment as Savior, as Savior. And verse 17 is just as an important verse. And those of us that have lived after Jesus came and we see him as a Savior, who we have this word in the New Testament that gives us a great picture of this, um, we have a better understanding of it, I believe, than, than most of the people that lived during the Old Testament about God's saving grace. And again, this section of 17 is talking about a Savior, Jesus coming as the servant. So Hezekiah here is saying, the suffering I have gone through was worth it because it was for my well-being. I believe he would say now it was a benefit for his eternal well-being also. 
the experience he, he felt of, of being healed, feeling like he was extremely loved enough for God to do that for him, to take away his death sense and showing grace, rescuing him from that pit of despair. Again, all words that he might have got from his father David in Psalm 40, being rescued. His sins were forgiven. And in the Hebrew, what that word means is, you love my soul from the pit of despair. This shows the tremendous love it took to rescue Hezekiah from a dark and murky place. It, it gives you a picture of like pulling him up out of quicksand and, that, and putting him on solid sound. I imagine that big sucking sound that you hear as he's pulled up out of it and then put on dry ground. The feeling of hopelessness to now sure a foot is just amazing. So we see at the end of 17 that not only was his sins forgiven, but God, get this, cast them behind his back. Or let's look at Psalm 103, 11 and 12. This is a term for our sins being forgiven that we're more familiar with. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. So that's what we normally hear. Because we know if you're heading east, you're never going to wind up going west. It's a great verse. He doesn't say north and south. He says, as far as the east is from the west. So Hezekiah says, these were cast behind his back. And then don't lose sight of 103 here, for this is what Ahaz rejected, Hezekiah's father, was seeing God said, I'll give you a sign as high as the heavens are, and Ahaz rejected him. Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are from above the earth, so great is my steadfast love for those who fear him. Different sermon, sorry, but it just, when you start getting into this, you see all the different ways God's just sticking that jab in. Like, remember, you ignored me. I offered this to you. So Hezekiah is in this spot only by grace, being rescued only by grace. He was chosen by God to be in this situation because God was keeping a promise to David, keeping a promise to David that concerned his son, what we're going to go over these next 17 chapters as the suffering servant and a savior, to later going on to his role as the conquering hero for the last part of Isaiah. This is what God did it for. And in 103.12 that we went over, again it's reminding us that our Sins are forgiven now because of Jesus' work on the cross alone. And again, they're forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Perfect picture of the work that Jesus did and is available to sinners today to have that forgiveness and that ultimate peace. Verses 18 through 20. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. Your father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. 18 is like a parallel to verse 11. We see Hezekiah explaining that people dying under God's wrath and being unforgiven means they aren't sitting in the pit still offering praise to God. They're not doing it. They are not hopeful in their circumstances 
And the worst part is, there is no need to them. You can imagine how despair this is. They're not sitting in there waiting for deliverance from God because they know it ain't coming. It's not coming. Verse 19, 19 says, the living can do as he was in this situation. They can offer praise to God for his mighty love that delivered, forgives, and promises eternal life. Now the Old Testament, as we see in the book of Proverbs, offers and, and shows us that parental instruction was key in the family for the father to teach the sons and the children it, it was powerful so Hezekiah who said he will continue in his personal devotion is also pledging here to keep the instruction to, in, with his family and then verse 20 we see a contrast here Hezekiah felt earlier that he was at the gates of Sheol and now he says he is going to go to the house of the Lord. And Sheol is not the opposite of the house of the Lord. It is eternally different and beyond comparison. And all we need to know is we want to be at the house of the Lord. And salvation offers us this gift. And Hezekiah ends his psalm with the Lord, with the Lord saying, he will save and he lists the benefits and the opportunities from that saving and promises to praise God all of his days. Now Hezekiah's healing verses in 21 through 22. Now Isaiah had said, let them eat a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? One thing I didn't get to try over the weeks that I was looking at this is I wanted so badly to try a cake of figs. And you look it up, it's, it really is a superfood. But my wife knows me and she said, no, you're not just going to go out and buy any fig and try it. I will tell you what type you should get that you would actually like and not see it just waste. So I'm still waiting. And to look at it, it's not like an actual cake made of figs. It's actually the cut up figs they would have applied and called it a cake of figs. They had a different version of cakes back then. Like cake of raisins, not interested. Not interested. Cake of figs, maybe because I'm ignorant of how figs taste. But raisins, new, nope, 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 nope. Now, as we went through this, if you were waiting for the humanness in Hezekiah that we've seen previously to appear, this is the section. And I think this is why when you look in the other versions, like in 2 Kings, this passage is part of the overall narrative. Here in Isaiah, for a reason, so we can see it, it's put at the end here. This is the introduction to Hezekiah not fulfilling everything that he had just signed up for in his song. So how many times have we heard of or ourselves, we've asked God for, for something? And we, in our humanness, make all these bargains. Well, you know, I won't miss church anymore if you do this one thing. I will read more. I will praise you more. We, we negotiate. But regardless, if God answers our prayer, how many times do we then go into renegotiations? Saying, well, I didn't mean every Sunday. Um, you know, what if Christmas is on a Sunday or, or you know, we've got this. So we negotiate it to make it easy on ourselves after we've got the answer. So, like I said, second, 
we see this story, this parallel story, in 2 Kings 27 and 8. And, and again, like I said, this part is demanding we pay attention to it. So, the sad thing is, God had just healed Hezekiah. Just healed him. Through his word and through his action, Hezekiah was healed. The humanness of Hezekiah, we see here, he's not quite convinced. He wrote a song. He made all this. Hey, praise God. He wasn't convinced. God moved time backwards, healed his boil with a, a fig, wasn't convinced in his humanness. So he asked for another sign. So after all he showed us about desiring a deeper walk of faith that just went out the window, and we're going to see more of this humanness of these failures next, next week. So we can learn a lot, about, a lot from this section about our Savior and how amazing it is, amazing it is to be saved and how we need to act in faith. Hezekiah is giving us a small window in words but not so much in his deeds. 38 is a great start to this section, and it, it may not seem like it, but we were going to be through with this in early 22. We're going to be through with, with this section and Al's forecast about when we'll be done with the book of Isaiah totally. It, it's looking spot on. He said we'd be done, and this is not just recently, this was a while back, forecasting it, that we'd be done by Easter of 22. So don't miss out. Read these sections, reread them, go over them, and spend time with God going over these sections. It is incredible as you go through just the ones now through 55, and you see Jesus in them. And this was written so long ago, folks. We're talking well over 3,000 years, or close to 3,000 years. It's incredible that we're seeing Jesus as we do. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for this section of your word that tells us about you. Just blows my mind to see you just coming up off the pages of this Old Testament book. So amazing. Thank you for your love that you are pointing yourself out to us so we can see it and follow it. Thank you for the reminder of your love that we're going to go into communion and celebrate. May we... we never take it for granted. May we never show disbelief like Hezekiah did at the end. May we always believe, always seek, always search, always honor and always obey. And forgive us for the times that we fail and help us to get back on that path. We love you so much. Amen.